This is from Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations 3 verse 22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. I was just thinking about uh, that truth, that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. You know, he's faithful and, and you know, we can, we can become uh, discouraged sometimes as we fight uh, battles in this life, as we struggle with the sin that is, is around us. And so it's just so good to come together and remind ourselves that God is faithful, that he is able, that he is capable. Good morning, and uh, welcome to our third week on our series about recovering God's design for gender, sexuality, and marriage. So this is the third week, and this week we're going to be talking about the husband's role. So I was considering dismissing the wives, too, with the kids, Um, but I guess we'll let you all stay. I want to be clear, too, uh, this morning that we're going to be going to Ephesians 5, and in this passage, I'm not the example, okay? (laughs) I've been married 25 years by the grace of God and the grace of Debbie, and so the biggest thing I've learned in marriage is what a slow learner I am. So some of the things we're going to be talking about this morning are things that I've just picked up on in the last couple of months. So keep praying for me and praying for Debbie. And if some of you guys could take notes uh, for me, I can refer back to it later. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have a design for marriage. Thank you that you have a blueprint for husbands to follow. Thank you that you have given us an example in the Lord Jesus for us to follow. And I thank you for this group here this morning that's together to open your word. I just pray that you would lead, that you would give me words to speak clearly so we can understand what your word is saying. And I just pray that you would give us grace to take these things and put them into our lives, into use, so that your design for marriage and for us as husbands is clear to those around us in the world and they can see an example of Christ in the church. Thank you for your spirit. I just pray that your spirit would move today um, as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's open up to Ephesians 5. You know, this the title today is pretty simple. It's Husbands Love Your Wives. And that's really a summary of it. So we could end it right there, but if we ended it right there, I think probably, you know, some of you would go buy your wife a gift, some of you would plan a date, some time to spend together, some of you might write a a note or a poem or some kind of expression with words. They say there's five love languages, and we're going to look at five things today. We're not going to look at those five love languages, but there's five specific things, at least in Ephesians 5, uh, that we're going to look at and under, try to understand um, how we do that as husbands. How do we love our wives? Because we speak different languages when we just talk about love. 
just like uh, with everything else, probably between husbands and wives. So these are kind of the five qualities of a husband's love according to God's design for marriages. So let's, if you would, open with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And Pastor Steve and Mark did a good job of talking about God's design overall and marriage. We're going to just focus very specifically on husbands. So I'm going to start with verse 25 in this passage that covers God's design for marriage. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And here's a quote that goes all the way back to Genesis that we read uh, a couple weeks ago and last week. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. Before we jump into this passage, I know we said we're going to focus in on the husband's role, but there's a little parentheses kind of in the wife's instruction that comes right before this where he says in verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So there's a a metaphor here, and a metaphor is a, a picture that illustrates something else. And the metaphor that's used here is the body with a head. And a head and a body, if the head is not connected with the body, what do you have? A corpse. Exactly. There's no no really point. You, You can't talk to the body. You can't talk to the head. The head and the body are one. And if they're not one, you're dead. And so this is a good metaphor, I think, for a husband and wife to consider, um, and a husband in particular, as the head, there's this concept of leadership, of decision-making, of kind of coordinating things. And a metaphor has limitations, but it's got a reason it's there, okay? So you can't take every single detail about the metaphor of the body and say, well, where's the fingernails, where's the hair, you know, where's the eyes, all that. The point here is it's a head and a body, they all make up a body. And from the head come instructions to care, one hand caring for the other, the overall well-being of the body. You know, if we neglect to uh, feed ourselves, eventually we're, if, for me anyway, I'm going to get a headache. You know, there may be times where I put my hands up to protect my head. There may be times where I put, you know, put them down to protect my feet. I don't say, well, that's just my feet. I don't care if they're killing me. No, I'm thinking about how am I going to rest and recover my feet. And that's kind of the role of the husband as head is to be in touch with what's needed 
and what's going on. There may be times where I cut myself because I have to get something out of my hand. I've got a splinter, and I might make a little cut that may not be logical initially, but I have an understanding that there's something that needs to come out. So the husband is not the head in terms of a a dictatorial leader that gets to call the shots because he gets to do what he wants to do. No, he's responsible, and he's to take the leadership in caring for the body. And his wife's well-being is his well-being. You know, there's that, that little expression, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? And it's true. But it's also true if, if daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, or the kids. So we all affect each other, and we need to be looking out for each other in that way. So the other thing it mentions is that he's the Savior. And that's kind of, I think it's kind of given to the wife as a, a comfort that the purpose of headship is not that her needs or desires or wants are going to be disregarded, but somebody's out there looking out for me. And so we need to take that as husbands too, that we're in this role that mirrors being a savior. We're supposed to be looking out for our wives. I want to keep those things in mind because there's two things. There's one thing in particular out of that, of the five qualities I want to talk about that comes from those verses, and that is the fact that we are the head, which I don't believe is mentioned in the instruction to the husbands, by the way, so you can think about that. See if, if you think there's any significance to that. So, it says in verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So I just want to talk a little bit up front about Christ loving the church and giving himself for it. Because this is a truth that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to take a couple minutes to look at this. Um, and I, I decided to look at Philippians 2 because it, it kind of highlights his sacrifice in the low place that he took. So Christ Jesus was in the form of God but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our example, but this is also the good news. This is our Savior. And if you don't know this about Jesus, that he was God the Son, and he had a glory as God, that full, powerful divinity, and he laid it aside and became a man. Not only that, but he became a servant. Not only that, but he went into death. Not only that, but the death of the cross. And he did that for our sins. So I hope this morning that everybody in this room is on the side of those who are already calling Jesus Lord because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he has that authority. Not only does he have it because of who he is, he has it because of what he's done. And he's redeemed us and he's saved us. So I trust that you put your faith in him that you know him as your Savior, that you confess him as your Lord, the one who has authority 
over you because that is our example. And that's the, really this passage is speaking to Christian husbands. You could take some of these things, you know, and apply it if you're not a believer, and you could probably make some things better in your marriage through them. But apart from Christ, you really don't have the foundation and the, the spirit indwelling you to enable you to love and serve as Christ loved and served and saved the church. What are these five things that... I keep talking about. So there's at least five things that I see in this passage. And so I think there's more. I think I saw some more just as I was reading it again. This is why I'm telling you I'm a slow learner. But uh, I have to confess just a couple months ago I was struggling. My dad, he thought this was kind of funny. And it, it, it seems kind of funny, but it's not really funny. But somebody said to him, so how are your problems? And, and he's like, what do you mean my problems? And this person said to my dad, well, you're married, aren't you? You got marriage. Everybody has marriage problems. Well, that's not a very bright outlook on things. But I was encouraged. Like I told you, I've been married 25 years. But this is, again, kind of encouraging, kind of discouraging. John Piper has been married 50 years. And he said that the second 25 years are harder than the first 25 years. So I, I look at somebody like John Piper, who is a greatly respected teacher of the word, and I think, okay, so I'm not the only slow one around here, and God can use slow people. And so looking through this passage, I just noticed this last summer, because I was like, what am I not doing here? And nourishing and cherishing jumped out. Like, okay. So I got to an answer. And the Word of God gives us answers for fullness. And so we're going to get there. We already talked a little bit about leading and the symbol of the head, the metaphor of the head. The husband is to lead. So these things that we're going to be talking about, we need to be taking the leadership on these things. And this, was a, this is a long, hard lesson for me because by nature, I'm one that wants to kind of sit back and see th how things go. If they go well, I want to be over here. If they, I want to be part of it. If they don't go well, I want to be over here. And just kind of sit back and see how things go. But that's not, that doesn't work in a marriage. It's not how God designed marriage. And I don't think I'm supposed to talk about Debbie, but she naturally is more of a leader. And so she wanted me to lead, even though she's naturally a great leader. And I've learned leadership skills from my wife. But... If I don't take the lead on these things, it's frustrating. And it, it, it doesn't go well. See, God designed marriage not based on our personalities, but on his blueprint and his design. And so if we decide we want to take a different way, it's like the example I've used before of a car. You better follow the instruction manual that was written by the manufacturer. Because you might think gasoline would be better in the radiator but it's not going to work that way. Or you might think water is cheaper than gas nowadays, so I'll put water in my gas tank. Or a little sugar, you know, maybe my car wants a little sugar. No, it'll ruin your car to do those things. And so we're not just left to our own devices to decide who, who would be the best leader here, who has the best ideas. God has given us responsibilities, and we best follow his design. And so being a loving husband involves leading. 
The other thing that jumps right out here is as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So our love as husbands is sacrificial. Our leadership as husbands is sacrificial. This is not, again, this is not a matter of whose desires and preferences and will are going to prevail here. No, this is how can I sacrifice for my wife out of love? Just like Christ sacrificed so that he could bring us to God, so that he could make us fit, a fit bride for him. Then the next thing I noticed here is that it's cleansing. So this love that we're to love after the pattern of, verse 26 says that he might sanctify her, and sanctify means that somebody is set apart, holy, pure, for a specific purpose. The illustration that I was raised with for sanctification is when you wash the dishes, you set them aside in a clean place. You don't put them back in the stack with the dirty dishes. And we are cleansed. When we're saved, we're cleansed. God has washed away our sins in the blood of Jesus. And he is continually applying the word of God to us to continually cleanse us and keep us clean. He didn't save us from our sins for us to live in our sins. He saved us from our sins to be sanctified. And that's a growing process for Christians, for me, for all of you. Because as long as we're in this world, we still have our flesh inside of us that that wants to bring us into the filth. But we individually need to be cleansed and washed by the word of God to be sanctified and to grow in our sanctification And then also we have that responsibility as husbands with our wives. I believe that's why it says, well, it does. It says right there, as Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of the water with the word. So we as husbands, we need to understand the word of God. We need to be in the word of God. We need to be washed ourselves. You know, it would be like uh, taking those other dishes that are still dirty and trying to clean off a dish with a dirty dish, it doesn't get cleaner, does it? We need to be washed in the Word so that we can wash our wives in the Word. We need to understand what's her identity. She's a daughter of the King. She's a, a daughter of God. That, that should give us pause as husbands to think about our wives being God's daughter. First Peter kind of you know, make some implications about that of God's willingness to listen to our prayers as husbands if we're mistreating our wives. He doesn't look kindly on that. She's God's daughter. She has an identity. She has an inheritance. She has blessings. In this book of Ephesians, go, if you go back to chapter 1, you see the richness of the inheritance of God. Forgiveness of sins were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we're part of the body of Christ. Peter tells us that our wives are co-heirs of the grace of life. We've received the same spirit. We should be living the same life motivated by the spirit of God. And this is all part of my wife's identity and your wife's identity as a Christian. And so that is an incredible way of cleansing, and also nourishing 
So down in verse uh, 29, it says, No one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes. So we need to, in addition to the things in the word of God that cleanse us and, and free us from the power and influence of sin, they also nourish us. Our help is in the Lord. You know, we are our wives' um, head, and we're to be trying to nourish and, and cherish her, but she also needs to be connected with the Lord. And we need to be pouring the word of God into our lives, into our wives' lives, um, and nourishing, strengthening, building up, and it says, or promoting. And so in that way, that's the, the fourth thing there that I want to call out. And then it says in verse 29, and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So the definition of cherish is there, to warm, cherish with tender love, foster with tender care. This is a, an object of special affection and care that we're talking about in our wives. And so we can be a little bit brash sometimes, you know. And maybe it's my personality, but I can be analytical. I know the facts, and that's what matters, you know. I mean, we, we spent enough time together this week. I can give you the list of times and, and days and hours so we've got that taken care of. Well, maybe not. Do I cherish my wife? Do I want to be attentive to her needs? Do I want to meet those needs? Do I want her to feel warmth around me and acceptance and a tender care? And then there's this expression here. In the beginning of verse 29, it says, For no one ever hated his own flesh. And again, this metaphor of the body comes into play because if I, in my mind... I'm not thinking about what my body needs. Eventually, I'm going to find out because things are going to start breaking or things are going to start hurting. And so if I'm not cherishing, nourishing, if I'm running into stuff, kicking stuff with my toes without regard for my body, it's going to start affecting all of me. In the same way, we are to nourish and cherish our wives. And this is... This is kind of a paradox to me that I noticed. And a paradox is, is kind of, it seems like an illogical statement or two things that go together that don't really seem to fit because here we're talking about nourishing our wives as we would our own body and taking care of our own bodies. And yet it's sacrificial. And that paradox is reflected um, back up in verse 26. It says, where it's talking about Christ's love for the church. It says, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So the church brings glory to Jesus. Jesus sacrificially was made sin for us. And we, as believers in Jesus, we are made glorious by his word, and we're made suitable for him. Now, our wives, we, we had that last week, that Adam needed a helper, meat for him, somebody that was suitable for him, not like these animals that might be able to do the work and might be able to entertain him, but somebody that could be a helper, just like the Holy Spirit is our helper. 
and can come alongside and help us through this life because we need our wives too. You know, we're kind of focusing on what our wives need from us, but we need them too. And there's this paradox here that just is maybe a little hard to reconcile in our minds that, okay, I'm supposed to be sacrificial, but somehow this is going to be a blessing to me, that expression, uh, happy wife, happy life. That's true, really. You know, and it, it brings joy when we see our wives being who God created them to be. And when they're living out their identity in Christ, and when they feel cherished and they feel nourished by our influence in their lives, that's a, a great, great blessing to us as husbands. And so this metaphor of the body, one of the reasons I like it, years ago somebody said, well, you know, with husbands and wives, it's not so much about equality. I mean, we are equal in value and standing before God, but it's not so much about equality. It's about unity. It's about oneness. We are one. And if we look at ourselves, if we look at our wives and we think, that's part of me. Some of these other challenges that we have, being willing to love sacrificially, becomes a little bit more grace-filled. We feel the power of God saying, you are a channel to build up this part of you, your wife. And so we are one body, just like Christ and the church. Go back to nourishing, because there's a, there's a provision there. And, you know, we have a responsibility to provide for our wives spiritually, but also for, for her natural needs. I, I think uh, maybe Mark alluded to this last week, but... 1 Timothy 5, I'll just read it real quickly, says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So God expects us, and this is specifically um, in the context of natural needs, physical needs that our families have, God expects us to provide in that way as well, spiritually and natural, naturally for the needs of our families. Okay, so I've, I've come up with these five things. I, I want to just take a couple minutes to go through a couple scenarios for you, or with you, or t- have you take me through a couple scenarios. And I want you to, to help me out. This is the time where everybody needs to wake up because I'm going to stand here awkwardly until somebody says something. So here's the checklist. And this checklist, I'm sure, will get longer for me as my life goes on and I spend more time in God's word noticing things for husbands. But when we're considering something as a husband or in the middle of doing something as a husband, it'd be good for us to ask these questions, I think. Is it leading? Is it sacrificial? Is it cleansing or sanctifying? Is it nourishing? Is it cherishing? And if any of those answers are no, then... I probably need to reconsider what I'm doing, okay? So, number one, and so I'll, I'll throw out a scenario. You scan down through the questions, and if you come across a no, just holler out no, okay? If you don't come across any no's, when you get to the end, just say yes, okay? So, I want to watch football, but I know my wife would rather watch a soap opera, so we'll just do that.
get another TV. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> get another TV. A little bit of a trick question here because I find that uh, to be sacrificial and it's kind of leading. When I get down to cleansing, it probably depends on the soap opera, right? And so just because our wife is interested in something, maybe we know this really isn't good for her. It's not good for me to be watching this. You know, there's, there's some junk in there that I shouldn't be seeing, that she shouldn't be seeing. We need to find something different to watch, even if it is on two different TVs. <laughs> so maybe, she, maybe there's a home and garden show that she can watch on the other TV. But Okay, very good. Um, this one, uh, very convicting to me. I don't feel like praying tonight. But if she wants to, I will. I don't feel like praying tonight with her. But if she wants to, I will. No. Very good. Getting the head nods or head shakes or whatever it's called. No. Why not? It's not leading, is it? And it may not be cleansing or nourishing, but... Our wives need us to take the lead in these spiritual disciplines as couples, reading God's word together, praying together, and we need to take, step out and take the lead in that. And our wives will be thankful for that. Um, okay, so next one. We're going to do devotions at 9 p.m. so I can get my stuff done first. I think everybody's leaning towards no, but nobody wants to say no. <laughs> okay, so is it leading? Yeah, I'm making this, you know, this hard and fast decision, right? Is it sacrificial? Hmm, not really, because I'm considering what I need to do first, right? And maybe, maybe there's some stuff that I need to do around the house that she's been needing for a while. It might be okay. Um, is it cleansing? Well, potentially, yeah, we're going to get into the word, right? Nourishing, maybe. Cherishing, maybe not so much, because I haven't really considered, well, what she got going on at 9 p.m. Okay. This will be the last one. Your last chance to shine. She feels insecure because she saw a former classmate who makes a lot of money and is going on a cruise. I told her she's a daughter of the king, a great mom, a great mom and wife, and that what she's teaching our kids counts for eternity. And I'll take that over money any day. Yes. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> Sorry. I told you I'm not your example for these things, right? And so I'm growing. I trust I'm growing. Um, but it's important that we cherish our wives, that we nourish her, that she understands what's important. Because a lot of times our wives are behind the scenes, maybe. You know, they're doing things, holding our families together, uh, pouring out their lives for our children, and laying them down. And we're in a world that doesn't really place a premium on building eternity into our families and living our day-to-day -day lives for eternal purposes. There's a premium on retirement, but that's about the end of the planning perspective of the world. And so we need to be aware of that as husbands. And we need to notice our wives and appreciate and verbalize our appreciation 
of those things that she's doing. And I think that would fall in the category perhaps of cherishing in a particular way. So this is kind of a big job. You know, and I've, I've jokingly, semi-jokingly said to Debbie a couple times, you know, I need a husband. <laughs> you know, she'll say, there's a dead mouse down in the, the laundry room. And, and, well, I don't like dead mice either. You know, so, <laughs> like, well, I need a husband. Well, <laughs> I have good news for us. We have resources, right? And we have a resource in particular. And so... We've got this verse from 1 Corinthians 11:3, and it's in the context of husbands being the head of the wife, and Christ is the head of the, of the husband, and God is the head of Christ. It says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. So as we've been talking about the head and the role of the head, what an encouragement it is to us as husbands to realize we're not in this alone. We also do have a head. We have one that um, will lead us. We have one that is sacrificial in his love for us. We have one that will nourish us. We have one that will cherish us. So we need, we have this need as husbands to be in the word of God, to be in prayer, to be in communion with our Savior, hearing him, knowing him, growing from him, being nourished by him, by his word. And so as we are there, we are empowered for that. And even in times, you know, I mean, there's times, at least for me, and I'm going to take a gamble that this is true for everybody, but there's times where you feel kind of alone in your marriage. You know, maybe things have kind of grown apart. And so, you know, your wife's supposed to be your help me, but you're not really feeling that connection. You're supposed to be her head, cherishing, nourishing her. You're not really feeling that need. And perhaps you're both feeling dry and shriveled up and you get together and it just gets worse, right? We have a great resource in prayer. And I, I probably have shared this. You know, I, this is as, as practical as I'm going to get this morning, but a, a prayer that I learned, and it's almost, for me, it's almost a magic prayer. <laughs> it's not magic in the sense of magic, but it's, it's very powerful prayer that I pray sometimes. And so this is, this is another comfort I took from John Piper. He would, I heard him in a more recent message, which keep in mind this is a man that's been married 50 years, and he said, sometimes my wife and I, he said, we always pray before we go to bed. We pray together. And sometimes it's been one of those days, and I just don't want to pray with her. <laughs> and she doesn't want to pray with me. So we get into our bedroom, and we kneel down beside the bed, and we sit there quietly for a couple minutes, and then I, as the leader, will pray first. And I'll say, God, I don't feel like praying right now. Help us. Amen. I was like, wow, that's, you know, this is this esteemed teacher of the word that's been married 25 years, and he's, he's still having conflicts like this with his wife. I thought, you know, we would outgrow that at some stage. <laughs> but when there's a, uh, an issue that's come up and there's conflict, I've found it very helpful 
to go to the Lord. And I, I would assume wives could probably pray this same prayer, so maybe it's helpful for everybody. But I'll pray, Lord, she's done some things wrong here, I'm pretty sure. I'd, I could list them off, but you know, and I don't, get, I don't make very much progress talking to you about the faults of anybody, much less my wife. So I think she's probably done some things wrong, contributed to this problem. And I don't think I have, but, well, sometimes I know I have, <laughs> and I know exactly what it is. But Lord, can you show me if and what I've done in this situation? And give me grace to apologize. You know, I've found that I don't get the answer right away all the time. Sometimes I do. But within a day, at least, I will. And then if I can go and apologize to my wife for my part in it, sometimes she'll have an apology before I do. Sometimes I've come to the realization that, oh, yeah, she really didn't contribute to this. It was just all my childish, selfish ways. But the Lord is good to us, and he cares about our marriages, and he cares about the connection that he has designed in the marriage to have this relationship where we're helping one another, where we're nourishing one another, cherishing one another, building one another up. And if we pray, you know, you might have a different way that you approach that prayer, but God changes hearts. He's in the business of changing hearts. So don't sell his ability to change your own heart short. Don't sell his ability to change your wife's heart short. And go to him and confess when he leads you to an understanding of what you need to confess. Okay, so we, uh, when we put together this series, we had originally planned... Um, I believe, a, a week on fathers and a week on mothers as well. So I just want to just take a real brief time here to reference fathers. So there's a couple things. One is the um, following Jesus in the way that we love our wives is the best thing that we can do for our kids. Following Jesus in the way that we love our wives is the best thing that we can do for our kids. There's a foundation there, a confidence and an assurance in our kids when they see us loving their mom. You know, and I, I, would, I would venture to guess that that would be true even in a case where there's been a divorce. You know, you, you may not be able to love them in the same way because you're not together anymore, but if they see that you have a respect and a nourishment that you're providing still, that you still have um, a cherishing attitude, I would imagine that that's very helpful to our kids. Because the kids are so often, we say they're the victims of the divorce. And it, it doesn't matter you know, whose fault it was or what went on or what's going on. We can still project that attitude of love and grace that Christ showed to us when we were still sinners of sacrificial Love, And then if you go down to the next chapter here in Ephesians 5, Ephesians is very, it's, it's very cool the way it reads through. I would encourage you to study it end to end. We start with these great truths about us as Christians and about God's plan and his design, and then it goes into the church, and it goes into our roles in our families, in our workplace. And um, 
So he does, he speaks a little bit about children here too. And the father's rule, he says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So that discipline and instruction, it's a little bit similar to the nourishing and cherishing, except with children, you are charged with disciplining them. You're not charged with disciplining your wife. Okay, I've heard people talk about that, but you can read that all you want. I don't think you're going to find it in God's word that you're responsible as a husband for disciplining your wife. But you are responsible for disciplining your children. But there is that, that nourishing, that discipline and instruction of the Lord. We need to be in the word for our relationship with our kids too and with our kids. Then there's this part at the end of those verses that we read in chapter 5. And I want to read that again. Well, it says in verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis before the fall in a description of Adam and Eve who didn't have parents. And he said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You know, we didn't talk about this, but there's a physical intimacy in marriage between a man and a woman that it, God has designed to only be in that union of a man and a woman. And it's described here and alluded to here, the two shall become one flesh. And as we were talking about before, following the, the owner's manual, the manufacturer's guide for how to take care of your car, if you want to take care of marriage, of your gender, sexuality. Keep that physical union in the bounds of marriage. As a single person, as a married person, as a divorced person, as a widow or widower, that belongs in the bonds of marriage. And if you take it outside of that, you're going to do damage to that oneness. Somebody illustrated it this way. They said, if you took two two-by-fours, and you glue them together, and then you take them apart, there's going to be parts of each on the other. And when God designs, and this would not just be physical intimacy, but even emotional intimacy is reserved for marriage. When God designs us that way, and we bring things together that aren't ready to be together forever, and they pull apart, we lose something. And there's grace. God has healing grace. And he redeems us. So I don't mean, okay, you've, you've crossed this line, so you're never going to be able to, you know, enjoy things with God's design. God always takes us where we're at and brings us to where we should be. So I'm not saying that, but I'm saying from this day forward, as you consider these things, take God's design into consideration for all you're doing. So, but it says, this is a mystery this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This leaving father and mother and cleaving or holding fast to our wives is a metaphor for Christ and the church. The highest picture that we can get of marriage is Christ and the church. And so if we go back to Ephesians 1, like I said, Ephesians lays down all these doctrines at the beginning of the book and then it shows us how they affect our lives. So if we went back to Ephesians 1.22, we see God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. So I put the, the whole body is over the things that are under the feet, right? The wife is not under a husband's feet. She's part of his body. And the church is not under Christ's feet. Christ is our head. And everything has been put under the feet of Jesus. Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, I believe it is, makes a reference to the Lord's Supper. And he says, we, being many, are one loaf. So even in this loaf that we're going to take, as we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross in these next few minutes, when we take this loaf, we take it as a body of believers, as the church of Christ, and we remember him together as one. And so let your thoughts be conformed to the remembrance of Jesus as we come take this loaf and take this cup. Because he says if we do it in an unworthy way, then we're not going to have the blessing. We eat and drink, it says, condemnation to ourselves. So the worthy way is to take that bread and remember the body of Jesus given for us. Take that cup and remember the blood of Jesus shed for us. He left father and mother, if you will. The glory of heaven came down and at such a great cost to himself, purchased our redemption, to sanctify us, to wash us with his word, and to present one day at that marriage supper of the Lamb that we read about in the book of Revelation, us as his glorious bride. Can you, can you imagine that? The grace of God that takes somebody like me and makes me part of a glorious bride that brings glory to God the Son, to Jesus our Savior. Let's just thank him this morning. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming down from that place of glory with your Father, with the Spirit, working there in creation, and seeing us go from this well-designed, beautifully designed, beautifully functioning creation to the brokenness of our sin, and being willing, Lord Jesus, to leave that place to come down, to bear our sins in your own body on the cross, to redeem us to God, to give us your spirit, to make us a glorious church. As we take this bread and we take this cup, I just thank you for the reminder that we have again this week of your work for us. I just pray for help for all of us as husbands, um, as single individuals, as wives, in whatever state we're in, that we would be in your word, that we would be nourished, that we would be cherished in it, that we would experience your headship and leadership in our lives so that we can be that blessing to our families, to our spouse, to one another in the church. We just give thanks, Lord Jesus, for your goodness and your grace. In your precious name, amen. Amen.